looking at Ecclesiastes this morning. I read the book of Ecclesiastes many years ago. Oh, what a depressing book. How terrible this book is. Oh man, however did the Lord let this book get into the Bible? Well, I didn't understand it, did I? And so once I got a handle of it, I find I think this book is imperative to the Christian life. Christians should read it. Non-Christians should read it. They should understand it. It is one of the most misunderstood books in the Bible. And so maybe it's a book I think that's so simple and yet so misunderstood. But once I've got a handle on it, I think it's great. At first, this book seems to portray that there's no hope in life. But of course there is. Just as all books of the Bible are approved by God and written by the Spirit and by the man's hand, Solomon states this one too is the word of the shepherd of truth. And he says that in chapter 12, verses 10 and 11. So this book is ordained by God as well. Solomon was the wisest man, and it tells us that in 1 Kings, wisest of men. But he sought to understand the meaning of life, the purpose of life, under the sun, not beyond the sun or above the sun, but under the sun. Meaning, he's looking for purpose of life without God. He didn't take God into the equation at all. This book is so important because people are just the same today. They're looking at life without God. Christians too are trying to find satisfaction in the things of life, money, material things, everything that we have. We have not read the minutes of Solomon's meeting. We have not read about his experiences, his experiments with life. We have not learned in all these days we are still making the same mistakes. And some people say there's evolution, we're getting better, we're smarter. I don't think so. I don't think so. What I see is people that are gullible, just as gullible as the days gone by of ever. And particularly even worse maybe now because not so many take note of what the Lord is saying. And Solomon was the ideal person to take up these experiments. Solomon was a man that had all the opportunities to do so. He possessed wealth beyond measure. He had wisdom. He had all the opportunities before him necessary to carry out what we would call this experiment, to find the meaning and the purpose of life. And it's thought, and I believe so, that Solomon wrote this book 
near the end of his life after experiencing the vanity of life without including God. Solomon's message is for today and it will be until the Lord returns. The society of Solomon's day, a millennium before the birth of Christ, was not too different from our world today. What did Solomon notice? He noticed injustice to the poor, 4 verse 1 to 3. Crooked politics, verses five, chapter 5 and 8. Incompetent leaders, 10 verse 6. Chapter 10, verse 6 and 7. Guilty people allowed to commit more crime in verses 8 and chapter 8, verse 11. And materialism. Yeah, they had materialism back then. 5 and verse 10. And a desire for the good old days. Yeah. 7, verse 10 there. Does that sound familiar to you? Yeah, it does to me too. But Solomon warns it's not wise to think about the former days were better than the days that we live in. And Paul said, I press on and count everything behind me as done. The past for us has some good memories. It also has some bad memories. Life has its problems. It's not all good. But whatever the memories are, their history. The present time is now, today, and every minute is history, and we have tomorrow, the future. The future is what counts. And this morning, one of the things I want to look at, though, is materialism. I want to examine this, and it includes pleasures, after all. Paul wrote to Timothy in his second letter in chapter 3 and he said, In the last days people will be lovers of money and pleasure, among a lot of other things, he said. Ecclesiastes 2 verse 1 tells us, Come, I will test myself with pleasure, and verse 10, and that all that my eyes desire, I did not refuse them, I did not withhold my heart from any pleasure. Now, one of the first things that Solomon thought he'd try to see about the meaning and pleasures of life, he thought he'd go for wine, women and song. Solomon could try this on in the biggest way possible, actually. He had his own vineyards and now, no doubt, the top winemakers of his day I mean, he gathered everything of the best to himself. Women were not a problem. He had 700 wives. Many of them were per, for political purposes. And his first wife, he married the Pharaoh's daughter. That meant a little bit of security, you know, like Pharaoh wouldn't come banging on his door, you know, with his spears and things held up. And so he did the same around him. He married quite a few of the prominent women around him so that those people uh, would be friendly towards him, that they would have peace. There's a lot of human reasoning in this, but it did work for a while. But I'm not wanting to tell you the whole story there. It did work for a while. 
But I reckon his father would have said, Hey, Solomon, don't lean on your understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge God. But he had to carry out the experiment and he was going to find meaning in life. Well, just to top things off, at the end of verse 8, he tells us that he had acquired many concubines. Well, it's documented in fact that he had 300 of those and they were living girlfriends. Also, he had male and female singers and we can imagine, of course, he had music because he had female dancers as well. And I think we could probably assume that um, Solomon was a ladies' man. I don't think that's an over-exaggeration. But really, how different are these things today? People sit in venues, they're drinking, listening to the band, watching the floor show while they consume a nice meal. Others, discos, rave parties, plenty of loud music, dancing and drinks. And just to get things really going, we'll throw in a handful of exity tablets to the mob. And that should really get things started. Or well, how about some ice? And I'm not talking about ice for the drinks. And then what do they do? Well, when they've had enough of that, probably three o'clock in the morning, time to go home, and I imagine some of them pair up and cot up together for the night. Solomon, are we doing anything different? No, we're not. They haven't read the minutes of Solomon's experiments. Like chasing after the wind, he says. Vanity, all vanity, it ends in nothing. But of course, there's nothing wrong with having a good time if we take the Lord into account. The Lord wants us to enjoy life. He said, I come that you might have abundant life and enjoy it to the full. But when we have possessions, money or whatever the Lord allows us to have and we take into account that he blesses us with those things, we see it in a totally different manner. Anyway, to house these girlfriends and his wives and the singers and servants, he built houses for himself. Verse 4. He made lovely gardens and parks for himself with all kinds of fruit and trees. He made ponds, or I would call them dams, from which he could irrigate, verses 5 and 6. In this lovely setting, he built himself a house. Quite a house. Took 13 years to build. Maybe the ladies were getting a bit restless after some of that time. This house was 45 metres long, 23 metres wide, and on feet I'm talking high, 40 feet high, which is about 14 metres. In my imagination, it must have been about three storeys high. He used the best timber, the same as used in the temple, cedar from Lebanon, and fine stones all trimmed nicely. His house had a large porch where he sat in judgment. He didn't go to the people, they came to him. 
that Solomon built other houses as well as his own for all those that were directly associated with him. And there was some pleasure in building this and creating this, as you can imagine. But at the end of the day, he said it was all vanity, all meaningless, really. So then Solomon also collected himself silver and gold, as it says in verse 8. Not only that, but he had large flocks and herds of stock. And as he ruled all over the kingdom, from the river to the land of the Philistines, down to the border of Egypt, and guess what? They all paid tribute to him. Must have been a good income. Solomon's wealth was beyond belief. The Queen of Sheba had heard about him, so she decided to pay a visit. And she said when she got there, I'd heard about all you've done and art and your achievements, but this is beyond belief. It is bigger and better than I have ever heard, beyond my imagination. He was the richest and the wealthy or the wealthiest man in the world. But he was unhappy because these things do not bring lasting pleasure. Now Kerry Packer, he was a big wheel in this world. And when he died, he left everything to his son James. I don't believe James is a happy man. He can't maintain a relationship with his women folk. I don't think he can maintain a relationship with his friends. He made news brawling in the street with someone he knew. And one of his partners found him in the shower with the water running over him and he was crying. I don't think that's a happy man. There was a survey done in 2002 and they were interested in finding out about people and money. And so they asked some people some questions and they asked them, what was money important to you? And those that said yes were also the most unhappy, believe it or not. And then at the same time, they investigated people that had won lotteries. And what they found was people, when they received all this money, they were more unhappy. One was sued by his best friend. I would suggest probably for a, a share, and I have seen this myself, these sort of financial stouches have surfaced from time to time on the news. Another was divorced and bankrupt within five years, and I've actually heard that too. One committed suicide within two years of winning $31 million. A lot of happiness there, $31 million worth of suicide. It's a pipe dream. We only think money brings happiness. Solomon hated life under the sun because he was looking at it without God. Particularly as life was short, Solomon was well aware of the brevity of life. And he mentioned it eight phases in 12 chapters. But remember this, Solomon was looking at life under the sun without God. Then he considered his wisdom. 
And he noted that the wise man and the fool both died. Will anyone take notice of my wisdom when I'm gone? Have we read and understood the book of Solomon? He considered his wealth and found three problems with it, but there is a fourth. People trust in wealth and not God. And not to accumulate wealth is one of God's rules for kings. And I just might mention not to accumulate women is another one. That's not what I'm into this morning. But the first thing he says, it's got a problem. We can't take it with us when we die. And we don't know if we leave it, whether it will be looked after and treated wisely. It has been said that money is a universal passport to everywhere except heaven, a universal provider of everything except happiness. And the second thing he said, it's hard to protect wealth, whether it's money, real estate, or your business, whatever it is, it's hard to protect. There are those out there that are ready to cut your lunch and take what they can. I have experienced that in life myself, in my business. The third thing. He said, we can't enjoy it as we should. Why not? Well, if someone's ready to cut your lunch, you've got to be ready and be looking after it all the time. You've got to try to protect all this that you have. tends to make life miserable. Everything's got to be insured, locked up, looked after. Mention Kerry Packer again. Kerry Packer sold a mine and the payment was $5 million for this mine. And Kerry said, I don't want to be paid in money. I want gold bars. So Kerry got 200 and 83 kilograms of gold bars, $5 million. And Kerry put this in a safe. But then Kerry had a heart attack and his relationship in the office wasn't as good as it used to be. And the new guy was called the chainsaw man because he fired nearly everybody around the place and changed things that much and he fired his personal secretary because he found that she had a liquor cabinet that was full of liquor and was interested in that during the day. She did a very good job. There was nothing really wrong, I don't believe. And she wasn't married. The job was her life. She took offence to it. And guess what? She lived in the same apartment building as one of the best safe crackers in Sydney. And I don't need to tell you the rest. He was 100% successful. He never got caught, but they knew he did it. He couldn't protect it. Insurance did pay out, by the way, if you're wondering. 
There's one other issue to wealth to money. And one of the reasons that it appeals to man is because if we go right back to the fall, we lost our significance, we lost our self-worth, and we lost our security. We were in charge of the garden, as it were, and then when we were deceived, we lost that. So we weren't that significant anymore. And that really did upset our self-worth. And then because we weren't at one with God, surely if you eat of this fruit you'll die, we weren't spiritually in tune with God any longer, we lost our security. So guess what? We get some money and we have a nice house and we drive a good car and we're somebody in society and we have significance back. And our self-worth is all good now. And we've got the security and the money. Until Kerry Packers people comes along. And go as quick as it can come. However, I would have to say that not all is lost when we re really consider that this is only under the sun without God. And that's how Solomon was looking at it. We must understand that all pleasures without the uh, inclusion of God in our lives cannot bring satisfaction because it only appeals to a part of a person and it ignores the total being. Solomon informs us, chapter 3, verse 11, that God has set eternity in the heart of man. Possessions, entertainment, they have their place. But without God, the true pleasure of these things will not be fulfilling. After all, Deuteronomy 8, verse 18 says, But you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who has given you ability to make wealth or to have the things that you have. And in Ecclesiastes 6, verse 2, it says that a man to whom God has given riches and wealth in other words there, it's saying God allows us to have the things that we have. Solomon teaches that life is not in vain if it's lived according to the will of God. Ecclesiastes has a message for non-believers and believers alike. Believers, use your God-given wisdom but don't expect to solve every problem or answer every question, says Warren Weasby. For us who believe, Christ has defeated death and is the resurrection and the life, in John 11:25. The victory of his resurrection means that our labour is not in vain in the Lord, as it tells us in 1 Corinthians 15:58. But you know, I do have to say that if you do not know Jesus Christ and he isn't your personal saviour, all your work and you will ultimately perish. Solomon experimented with life and discovered that there was no lasting satisfaction in possessions and pleasures, power or prestige. He had the lot. Yet his life was empty. 
to persist where Solomon failed would prove eternally fatal. If you've never trusted in Jesus Christ as your personal saviour, then I really urge you to do so without delay. Because no matter how much wealth, education, social prestige you might have, or how little of any of these things you might have, life without God is futile. Vanity, chasing after the wind. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And I am the resurrection and the life. Let's go to our final hymn or our final song. And while they come up, I was running away from the Lord. I didn't want to be a part of it. The Lord changed my mind. It took over a year to slow me up and get me to turn around. And when I turned around, I received the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm not asking you this morning, do you believe in God or do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? What I'm asking you this morning is have you received his shed blood on Calvary for the payment of your sins? Have you invited him into your life? Because that's what I did. And the dungeon of my heart flamed with light and my chains fell off. because I received the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. You haven't been there like many of us. You need to go there. I know when it happened. It was in 1984, the 21st of July, on a Saturday night, and it was around... I would suggest that if you've ever done it, you should remember it. I can never forget it. It's like yesterday. I'll praise you, Lord. I know you'll keep us until that promised day. And so, Father, I thank you and praise you for the precious blood that saves us that brings us to yourself and makes us in a right relationship with you. And so we can look forward to the wonderful hope that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit of down payment in our hearts until that day when he comes. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.